bucket to carry it in. My wife tells me I make up my own songs and I make up my own tunes and she refuses to let me sing with her. I don't know why. But we want you to worship the Lord with her as she sings tonight. Tells about the victory when God's children cross the Red Sea. Oh, the Bible tells about the victory when God's children cross the Red Sea. How they walked across on dry land, Pharaoh's army drowned in the deep. And by the time I finished reading, it was plain to see that God delivered those before and He'll do it again for me. And I'm going through, yes, I'm going through. No matter what the devil throws at me, I know what to do. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now, cause I'm going through. And if you're going through a fiery trial and you just can't seem to pray, just turn your eyes toward heaven and ask the Lord today. He'll fill you with his power. Trust him and believe. He'll put a song down in your heart that you can't sing with me. And I'm going through, yes, I'm going through. And no matter what the devil throws at me, I know what to do. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now. I'm going through. Yes, I'm going through. Oh, I'm going through. And no matter what the devil throws at me, I know what to do. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now. I'm going through. And if you're going through a fiery trial and you just can't seem to pray, just turn your eyes toward heaven and ask the Lord today. He'll fill you with his power. Trust him and believe. He'll put a song down in your heart. You can sing with me. And I'm going through. Oh, I'm going through. No matter what the devil throws at me, I know what to do. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now, cause I'm going through. Oh, I'm going through. Yes, I'm going through. And no matter what the devil throws at me, I know what to do. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now. I'm going through. I'll call upon the name of the Lord. I'll pull out my shield and sword. Satan, you can't stop me now. I'm going through. No, Satan, you can't stop me now. I'm going through. If you're going through, would you praise him tonight? If you're determined to have revival, would you praise him? If you're determined tonight to get the Holy Ghost, would you praise God? 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise the Lord. What this generation needs is an old-fashioned case of determination. Praise God. We've got a bunch of weak-kneed, limp-wristed, crawling, bottle-sucking babies around that don't want to go through. Slightest little problem of difficulty, they're ready to sit down and throw in the towel and quit. God needs some men that will gird up their loins like men and fight and give it everything they caught until they get there. If you expected Christianity to be a bed of roses, forget it, friend. It's going to be a struggle to get there, but God has endued us with power from on high. And we've got the power to be able to make it through. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me tonight to the book of John, chapter 5. The book of John, chapter 5. Reading from verse number 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue, Bethsaida, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the trouble in the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity of thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day. It's not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. And from verse 11 is where I wish to preach tonight. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. I want to minister to you tonight by the help of God on this subject. Jesus told me to do it. Jesus told me to do it. Would you ask the Lord to speak to our hearts? This man in the book of John chapter 5 has went for a long time now to the pool with an expectancy and an anticipation in his heart and mind that possibly, just possibly, this is going to be the day that I am once again going to be able to walk. And I'm not going to ever have to come back to this place again and wait for my healing. Just today, it just might happen today. His family and friends undoubtedly had, had brought him to that pool every day. And they probably questioned him, do, do you really think it's necessary to go back today? Do you really think it's needful? Why, why don't you skip it this week? Why don't you forget it? No, I can't. I, I can't. Just possibly, if you can lay me close enough to the edge of the pool, when the angel troubles the water, I, I just might be able to get in. They called it the house of mercy. That's what Bethsaida was, was the house of mercy. And for 38 years, he laid at the house of mercy. 
For 38 years, he laid at the advertised establishment for cure. It was known all around in any region you had wanted to go in. Everybody knew about the pool. Everybody knew the story that ever sees that an angel came down and, and touched the water and troubled it. And whoever was first into the water after that was, was made whole. Everybody knew that it was the place where you got healing. But you see, the advertised establishment doesn't always work. The advertised establishment is not always the proper design for what God wants to do in your heart. Friend, you can tiptoe through the yellow pages all you want, trying to find AA and hypnosis programs and nicotine chewing gum to be able to get deliverance. I want you to know the advertised establishment cannot bring deliverance to the heart and the mind of a soul. There is only one that knows how to completely and totally deliver a man from whatever he is possessed with. And that man is Jesus Christ. He's the only one that knows how to deliver somebody. What this man did not know was this day when he came and laid at the house of mercy. When he came and laid at the advertised establishment, a place where he was going to find his deliverance. That the giver of mercy was going to walk between the porches and he was going to find total and complete deliverance. Friend, I want to serve notice upon all of the world in Hutchison, Kansas tonight that the giver of mercy has walked into the place. He is walking amongst the pillars. He has come to bring deliverance. He has come to bring salvation. He has come to bring help. He has come to bring hope. He's come to bring joy. He's come to bring peace and love. Everything you need is found in the beautiful glorious experience of Jesus. When the Lord walked in that day and saw him laying there on that cot as he always had been laying and the Lord looked at him and asked him a crazy question. Really it was. It was crazy. Wilt thou be made whole? It was just common, common knowledge that anybody laying at that pool wanted to be made whole. But what I really believe the Lord was asking was this. Are you willing to be made whole to such a point that you're willing to do it the way I want to do it? I know that you're here waiting for an angel to touch the water. And I know you've got programmed in your mind the way you're going to get your healing. You've laid there for 38 years and you've pictured in your mind just how it's going to happen. The angels is going to touch the water. The water is going to be troubled. And I'm going to step in and all of a sudden strength is going to flow from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. And I'm going to come walking out of the pool and everything's going to be all right. But do you want to be made whole to such a point that you're willing to lay aside your preconceived ideas of the way you thought it would be and do it the way I want to do it. The problem with a bunch of us and the way God wants to move is we've got our preconceived, pre-programmed, computerized ideas of the way we want God to do it. We've got it pictured out in our mind before we ever come to church. The way we think God's going to move. Just the way we're going to dance. Just the way we're going to shout. Just the way God's going to touch us. We are never going to get the touch that we need in this last hour until we lay aside our preconceived, computerized ideas and say God I'll do it the way you want me to do it we 
we've got it all programmed. People, the reason why some people can't get the Holy Ghost is when they come to the altar and pray and talk to God, they've got it pictured out in their mind just the way they're going to get it. Just how they're going to do it. Friend, if you want the Holy Ghost, you need to forget on how you're going to get it. You need to forget what you're going to do when you get it. And what you need to do is just trust and rely upon God and say, God, however you want to give it to me, I want it. If it's on my back, I want it. If it's shouting, I want it. If it's running, I want it. I want it any way, God, you want to do it. He looked down at that man, and when he looked down at him, he said, look, sir. He said, rise, take up thy bed, and walk. When that man looked at him, he probably looked at him kind of funny looking. He said, don't you know how it happens around here? Don't you know the way people, I've told you, I have no man to put me in the water when it's trouble. Now that's the way it's been done around here for as long as I can remember. That's the way it's been done as long as I can think in my mind. I have no man to put me in the water when it's troubled. But there's something about you. There's a command in your eye and there's authority in your voice. I don't know who you are or where you're going, but there's something about you I like and I'm tired of laying on my cot I'm tired of coming every day to the advertised establishment I'm tired of doing it my way I'm tired of doing it the way I've got designed and I'm so tired of it I'm going to get up out of my cot and I'm going to walk The problem with some of us, we have not got tired enough of where we're laying. The problem with some of us, we have not got tired enough of the cot we've been stretched on for 38 years. We have not got tired enough of the place where we've been laying to such a point that we can say, God, however you want to do it, I'm willing to do it. But if we can ever get tired of it, if we can ever get tired of the bed sores, if we can ever get tired of doing the same old thing every day, revival! It's going to blossom in our hearts like never before. He looked down at that bed and he said, Hey, look, I'm tired of laying, I'm getting up. And he put one foot over the side and he got a good grip. And then he put the other leg over and he got a good grip on that one. And then he started standing up. And just as he started standing up, all of a sudden, far beyond his fondest dreams, far beyond the mentality he had already conceived of, there was strength, started at the bottom of his feet and began to inch its way all the way up his body until it pierced out of the top of his skull. And strength came into that body. And he reached down and he rolled up the bed and he plopped that over his shoulders and he went walking and a praising and a worship and a glorifying God out of the pool. I'm telling you, some of you can walk away praising and glorifying God and thanking God for victory if you would get off of your cot where you've been laying and do what God is wanting you to do. 
can be content with the advertised establishment if you want. You can be content with the normal and the routine and the usual. You can be content with your preconceived ideas. You're looking at one preacher that's tired of laying. You're looking at one preacher that's tired of doing the same thing. I'm ready to hear what Jesus wants me to do. Now the Lord's already violated one law. He's already violated one custom and that's the moving of the water. It's always been done that way. And now he's told a man to walk away not by the moving of the waters. The next thing happens is this man's excited. He's absolutely thrilled. I mean, when you start doing what Jesus says to do, when you start obeying the voice of God, more happiness will come in your life than you could ever possibly have dreamed of. He's absolutely elated and thrilled. He walks into the temple with his cot on his back, a praising and a worshiping and a magnifying and a glorifying the Lord. And he walks in in front of a bunch of old hard-headed scribes and Pharisees and Sanhedrin council that's got it all planned out in their mind the way it's supposed to be and the way everything's supposed to be done that lives by tradition, that lives by customs, that lives by the norm and the routine. And they look at him and say, hey, look, what in the world are you carrying your bed for on the Sabbath? Don't you know we've never done that on the Sabbath? Sabbath, don't you know it's a law that you're not supposed to carry your bed on the Sabbath day? And he looked them in the eye and he said it something like this. He said, I want you to know I've laid for 30 and 8 years beside of the pool. I've come every day to the place where I thought I could get sweet deliverance and victory. And I haven't been able to get it. He said, the one that told me to take up my bed, the one that made me whole, the one that healed my body, the one that made me complete, the one that gave me sweet victory, is the one that told me to carry my bed on the Sabbath day. You hear me, world. It may be not according to your norm and your routine, but the one that called me out of sin, the one that put my feet on a solid rock, the one that gave me a new name and glory, the one that gave me a new life and a new creation is the one that told me to do what I'm doing. It may not be the usual, and it may not be the norm, and it may not be tradition, and it may not be custom, but there is something happened way down deep in my soul. And when you have something happen to you, like's happened to me, you want to do what Jesus says to do. There's a whole bunch of us holding on to the norm and the customs and traditions of days gone by until we cannot see a move of God in our heart like we'd like to see. Friend, we're never going to see an apostolic outpour and a Holy Ghost breakthrough until we can forget traditions and customs and the way it always has been and the way we think it ought to be. We've got to lay aside some of those things if we're going to see a move of God in our heart like we want to see. It's like the little bride. She just got to, just moved into her new home and she's baking a big old ham. And uh, she cut the ends off of the ham. And uh, somebody asked her, said, 
why in the world did you cut the ends off of that ham? I don't know. I said, Mama always did it. And so uh, she went and asked her mama. I said, Mama, how come you always cut the ends off of your ham when you bake it? She said, well, you see, my mama had a little old tiny pan. That's all she had to bake a ham in. And she couldn't bake it in there unless she cut the ends off of it. It's the only way it would fit in there. She said, so she did it, and I did it, and now you're doing it. And there's a bunch of us holding on to little ridiculous customs just like that in the spiritual realm because Aunt Susie did it and Uncle Bill did it and great-grandma and great-grandpappy did it. Forget what great-grandpappy did and forget what great-grandmama did and forget what Uncle Bill and Uncle Su and Aunt Susie said to do and let's start hearing what the Spirit would say unto the church. We are never going to get the job done in our life. We are never going to get the job done in our world as long as we hold on to outdated customs and traditions. But we will see revival. We will see miracles. We will see healing. We will see a Holy Ghost breakthrough if we can learn to do what Jesus says to do. Now the Lord always violates customs and traditions. When you read the story in the book of Matthew chapter 5, you read the story of the Sermon on the Mount. It was one of the most long sermons that's ever been preached, and yet the most beautiful. He probably would have had everybody walked out on him if he preached it now, but uh, he preached it then. And when he preached it, he violated every custom that those people had ever held sacred and dear to their heart. You read in verses 22, 28, 32, 34, 39, and 44 of Matthew chapter 5. You read these words. You have heard, or it has been said. You have heard, or it has been said. But then go read in further down in verses 22, 28, 32, 34, 39, and 44. You read these words. But I say unto you. The previous verse says, you have heard. The following verse says, but I say unto you. I want to hear what Jesus has to say unto me. Don't you? I've heard a lot, but I'm wanting to hear what Jesus has to say. When you start reading in verse number 21 in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 5, you read, you have heard, thou shalt not kill. That's what your traditions told you. Thou shalt not kill. The only way to kill a man is to pick up a club and swing it. The only way to kill a man is use your fist and beat him to death. He says, but I say unto you, whosoever is even angry with his brother is in danger of the judgment. He said, your traditions and customs have taught you the only way to violate your brotherly covenants with one another is to kill him outwardly. He says, I say unto you that you can kill your brother by just hating him oh that's what Jesus has to say about brother and sister relationships that we're not even to hate one another and then he goes on in verse number 27 he says you've heard thou shalt not commit adultery now that's what you've heard 
That's what's been taught to you. That you're not, that you're, you, you cannot commit adultery. He says, but I say unto you that even if you think about it in your mind, even if you lust after it in your heart, you've already committed adultery. That's what Jesus has to say about the thinking of the mind. Our mentality says it's got to be an outward act. God says you just think of it in your heart and you've already done it. Oh yes, then he goes on and lets us know that in that we, we find out in verses number Excuse me, I've turned my notes all around. He find, we find out in verse number 31. He says, if you get tired of her, this is what you've heard. Give her a writing of divorcement. Moses says she burns the toast. If, if she boils the water dry, she don't keep the dirt floor clean, just kick her out. You know. She wakes up looking like a mud pie. Get right rid of her. He says, but I say unto you that you shall not put her away except it be for fornication. He said, and if you do otherwise, you have committed adultery. That's what God has to say about the sacredness of marriage. Now, I know that violates our, our modern thinking today. You know that you can shack up and if it works, get married. And if it don't, you can get a $75 divorce in Chicago from a lawyer up there. And it can all be done and settled. Friend, I want you to know God considers marriage sacred and holy and righteous verse number 33 says don't swear by yourself he says but I say unto you don't swear at all by heaven by earth by your head verse number 38 says says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say unto you if any man smites you on the right side turn to him also the left and he smites you on the left side turn to him also the right that's what God has to say about leaving vengeance to him and then in verse number 43, he says, you've heard love your neighbor. He says, but I go further than that. He says, I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. I want to hear what Jesus has to say to do in this last hour. I have my preconceived ideas of living. I have my preconceived ideas of holiness and righteousness. But I want to live like he says to live. I want I want to praise like he says to praise. I want to worship like he says to worship. I want to do what Jesus says to do. You see, when we begin to read, the Bible lets us know that the Pharisees had their traditions and customs. And, and, and at one point, they criticized the Lord and his disciples because they ate with unwashing hands. What a shame. They ate with unwashing hands. They didn't scrub their fingernails before they went and ate. And the Pharisees got all upset about it. Said, you mean you let these people sit down to eat and they haven't even washed their hands? The Pharisees had a, had a little old custom about themselves that, that they went through a big old ritual and when they washed their hands, they got them a basin. They tell me they still do it over there. That, that they got them a basin and, and they would wash their hands clear up to their elbows. And then they would rinse that off and then they would scrub again until they got it all real clean. And the Lord said, he said, I want you to know that there's something more important than washing of the hands. He said, you have made the word of God of non-effect by 
by your traditions. He said, you've held your customs and the way you think it ought to be done and the way you think it ought to be said higher than my precious word. He said, and my word is higher than your customs and your laws and your traditions. He said, you believe in washing your hands. He said, but you don't teach your children to honor their mother and dad. He said, you scrub your elbows and make sure your fingernails are clean. He said, but you don't teach your kids. They ought to respect their parents. He said, instead, when, when, when your parents cry to their kids for help, that they need something, some kind of help that welfare's not come through this month and Social Security's not paying it off. He said, and you, they go ask their kids for help that they say, sorry, Dad. Sorry, Mom, I can't. Everything I have has done been, been given to God and I can't take it back. And they leave their mom and dad destitute yet you put all your emphasis on washing your fingernails and scrubbing their elbows friend I want you to know there are some important truths from Genesis to Revelation that needs to supersede and go beyond our petty little customs and ideas and traditions that we hold dear to our heart We think it's got to be done just a certain way and, 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 a certain, and a certain position. Colossians 2 and 8 says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Titus 1 and 14 says, Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. We need to lay aside our picture minds. We need to lay aside our pre-programmed thinking and ideas lest it would turn us away from the real victory that God really wants us to have and begin listening to the voice that is speaking to the church in this last hour. Now this particular world that we, we're living in, they, they've got their customs and traditions that they live by. I had the privilege of, of preaching when I was pastoring in a, in a denominal church. They can ask me to preach for them. They're not going to preach for me, but I'll preach for them if they want to be, you know, crazy enough to open the pulpit up to me. I'll preach for them. And so uh, I went and preached. It was a Good Friday service, and uh, kind of the first time I'd ever done anything like that. And we started church in the back of the building. Never, I've seen church started a lot of ways, but never in the back. And uh, then the choir walked down the center aisle, and the preacher behind or me behind them, and then the, the pastor of the church behind me got up front, and there was a little old Bible stand over here and a big one over here. And uh, he motioned me over to this side, and I sat up on a great big old high pedestal over here. And, and I noticed everything was, you know, kind of spontaneous that day. What am I supposed to know? You know, it's my turn to preach. I was looking for, you know, an introduction. We're glad to have Pastor Kevin Borders here with us today, pastor of the United Pentecostal Church. We want him to come and deliver, you know, what, what we would say here. And, and I, everything all of a sudden got real quiet. 
And I had the, I had the sneaky feeling that I was missing my cue. <laughs> I looked over at the pastor and he was motioning me up to the, to the Bible stand. And then I realized that I had been given a bulletin on the way in. And the service was, you know, already designed. And I was supposed to be following that bulletin. Now, that's the traditional way to have church. Some people think of their mind that's the only way to have church. And if it don't go like that, they just plain haven't had church. I wonder what the Lord has to say about having church. I wonder what the Lord has to say about worship and praise when we come to the house of God. Now, tradition says when we come to the house of God, the pre-programmed idea of, of coming to church is this. When you come, please sit real quiet and pious-like. Keep your hands folded. Eyes straight forward. <laughs> and don't make any noise because the Lord might have a nervous breakdown. You know. Don't, 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 don't lift your voice, nobody. Shh. Everybody be quiet. Shh. You know. You're going to disturb the, the sovereign God that's in the building tonight. I wonder what the Lord has to say about what we're supposed to do when we come to church. Psalms chapter 98 and verse number 4 says when we come to the house of God, we're to make a loud noise unto the Lord. Tradition says when you come to the house of God, please keep your hands folded neatly in front of you and don't sing any upbeat, fast beat songs because you wouldn't want your toes to wiggle or your hands to clap. <laughs> I wonder what God has to say about our hands when we come to church. Psalms 47 and verse number one says, Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, and shout unto the Lord with the voice of triumph. You can live with your preconceived ideas of church if you want to. I've heard what God told me to do. The one that called me out of sin. The one that gave me a new name. The one that put my foot on a solid rock to stay is the one that called me to make a loud noise and to clap my hands unto the Lord. Yeah. Tradition says, don't raise your hands when you come to the house of the Lord. You might block somebody's view of seeing the podium. I wonder what the Lord has to say about what we're supposed to do with our hands when we come to the church. Psalms 141 and verse number two says, except the raising of my hands as the evening sacrifice and the prayer of my lips as the incense. Paul to the young preacher Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and 8 said, I would that men everywhere will lift holy hands without wrath and doubting. God has designed apostolic worship, the one that gave us a new life. The one that gave us a new name is the one that told us to do what we're doing. You can 
sleep on your cots if you want to. You can lay beside the pool if you want to. I found marvelous deliverance and you're not. Absolutely, I refuse to let anybody take this away from me. I've had deliverance. I'm going to do what he says to do. Oh, yes. And then the world, they question whether or not that we are to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Tradition says it's not for us today. That's what tradition says. Tradition says it's only for Acts chapter 2. That's all. I'll have you to know in Acts chapter 8, dogs got it. That's what they were. They were dogs. They were a cross between the Jewish nation and the Gentile nation called Samaritans and they were called dogs. Dogs got it. In Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, Gentiles received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Acts chapter 19, the disciples of John received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And on January the 2nd, 1971, this preacher received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now you can tell me tradition says it's not for us if you want to. I want you to know if this thing's supposed to be of the devil, why doesn't any of the devil's folks get it? If this thing's supposed to be of hell, how come none of them have it? I want you to know the Holy Ghost is too pure for the devil, too sacred for hell, too holy for the world. It's only good enough for those that have repented and been baptized in Jesus' name. Peter begins in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 38. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you and to your children and to those that are afar off even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Do you believe he's still calling today? Jesus said you could get the Holy Ghost. Jesus said you could have it. It may not be traditional, but Jesus said to get it. It may not be an angelic massage, but Jesus said we gotta have the Holy Ghost. And then there are some, you know, that, that acknowledge the fact that the Holy Ghost is real, but they don't acknowledge the necessity of the Holy Ghost. Tradition and custom dictates it as an extra added gift. Tradition and custom dictates it as an extra added blessing, an extra added power, an extra added battery. I want you to know, friend, it is not an extra added nothing. It is the experience that God endured us with. That's the reason why Acts 1 and 8 says, you shall receive power. You shall receive power. After that, after that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You don't even have any power until you get the Holy Ghost. Tradition may call an extra added gift, but Romans chapter 8 says, Without the Spirit of Christ, ye are none of his. And if ye have not the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, our mortal bodies cannot be quickened in the resurrection day. Ye must have the Holy Ghost. Oh, yeah. Tradition says 
custom says, the preconceived idea of man says that there is three gods. That's what customs and tradition says. <laughs> I was at my dad's church here three or four weeks ago, and I was out in the parking lot with my truck, and I was doing some work on it. And a young man drove up in the, in the parking lot, an old car, and he had a suit on, and he introduced himself to me as an evangelist. He thought I was the pastor, and he was going to give me his card so that I could have him for a revival. And we got to talking about uh, different things, and he said he believed in oneness. He said, no, I kind of believe it like the Trinities do. And I knew right away he wasn't none of our bunch. He got to explain it, and I can't even explain it like he did. He got to explaining it. When he got done, I said, you believe in deism? He said, well, I don't know what that is. He said, but I believe such and so, and he went back and explained it all through again. I said, deism is, is that you believe in two gods. He said, no. He said, I don't believe in two gods, but I kind of believe like the Trinity's believe it. He said, now I'm oneness. I want you to know, friend, that there's no such thing as two. There's no such thing as three. It's not kind of like this. It's not a little bit like this, but it's a whole bunch like one God. God manifested in the flesh. I'm just preaching to you what Jesus says. I'm just telling you how to get off of the cots if you're tired of laying beside of your preconceived ideas. If you've come up with three gods, you know more than God does and less than the devil because the devil says he believes that there's one God and he fears and he trembles. God said, I searched all over heaven. I couldn't find any before me. I couldn't find any after me. He said, I'm the beginning. I'm the ending. I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm he that was and is and is to come. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. I want you to know you're amongst a group of people tonight that believes in one God, believes he's the Father in creation, the Son in redemption, the Holy Ghost in emanation to the church, and his name is Jesus Christ. And his name is Jesus Christ. And his name is Jesus Christ. I want you to know there's one body, there's one church, there's one spirit, there's one pride, there's one temple, there's one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism. We're one all the way through because we believe in one God. That's what Jesus has to say about it. There isn't a bunch of gods up there. Somebody explained it to me like this one time. Said the father has got a long beard. And the son's got a shorter one. And the Holy Ghost has got a goatee. I don't know what any of them looks like. I know how he feels. I don't know how they look like, but I know this. When I get up there, I'm not seeing three. I'm seeing one. I'm seeing the one that made the world. I'm seeing the one that redeemed me out of the gutter of sin. And I'm going to see the one that's been filling my heart for the past several years. That's who I'm going to see on the throne. Yeah. 
Get for me the book of 1 Peter, Brother Elder, if you would. The book of 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. I want you to know that God is wanting us to come out of our our publicized places of deliverance to come out of our places of advertised establishments to get off of our cots and start doing what the Lord's been telling us to do. First Peter chapter 1 verses 18 to 19. If you would read it for me, Brother Elder. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. For as much as you know you were not redeemed with corruptible things. As silver and gold. As silver and gold. From your vain conversation. From your vain conversations. Received by tradition. Received from your by tradition from your fathers. But with the precious blood. But with the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish. As of a lamb without blemish. And without spot. And without spot. I want you to know, friend, when in the Old Testament that priest took a lamb and placed him on the altar, took the bread from the altar to the laver, to the candlestick, to the table of showbread, to the golden altar, to the holiest of holies. But when the Lord come, he said, I'm not going to do it by tradition. I'm not going to do it by custom, but I'm going to redeem you by the sovereign plan of Almighty God from the beginning of the world. You was not redeemed by tradition, but you was redeemed by the perfect will of God as of the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. If you was not redeemed by tradition and you was not redeemed by custom, why are you holding on to a bunch of custom and tradition and preconceived ideas? If you were redeemed by the perfect will of God, why don't you do the perfect will of Almighty God? Paul, when he talked to Agrippa, he said, oh king, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. When Saul came into Damascus and the light shined from glory and smote him to the earth, when he came in and that light began to fill him and he was blinded, he came in a traditionalized man. He came in a man knowing how to put sacrifices on the altar but not knowing the one that designed the altar. He came in as one that knew how to wash his hands in the laver but not knowing the one that designed the laver. He come in knowing it from cover to cover but not really doing what Jesus would want him to do. And when he began to relate his story to old King Agrippa, he said it like this. He said, on my way in, that light smote me to the ground. He said, and I heard a voice out of heaven that said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, I looked up and said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then notice what Saul said. He said, what? What wilt thou have me to do? What will you have me to do? I wonder how many Saul's we have here tonight that could be as honest as Saul was to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. When that voice said, I want you to go to one of Judas's house on the street called Straight. That was totally foreign to Saul. When he walked in there and for three days prayed and Ananias came and began to expound to him Bible salvation. Saul, you gotta repent. That was totally foreign to Saul. But he said, whatever he wants, I'll do it. <laughs> you gotta be baptized in Jesus' name. That's not the way I've been taught. That's not the way I had it imagined. But if he wants me to do it, I'll do it. Then you gotta
understand it, but if he wants it, that's the way I'm going to do it. Glory. In his first miracle in John chapter 2, the Lord standing there in that wedding, his mother comes to him and says, Son, we have no more wine. He turned around and turned and said, Mama, what have I to do with thee? My hour's not yet come. She ignored him. Mama has a way of ignoring you. She just ignored him. She turned around and looked at the servants and said, Whatsoever. You know why she said whatsoever? He hadn't even started his miracle ministry yet. But she knew enough about what had been announced to her and she knew enough about who he was to know that when he started doing things, it was going to be different. She knew it was going to be totally against the preconceived ideas of the minds of man. She said, servants, get ready. It's going to be different. It's going to be strange to your thinking. But whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Now the servants had in their mind, go get some grapes, press it out, pull the wine into a vessel. That's the way we've always done it. We've always gotten wine that way. And the Lord says, go get six vessels. They went and got them. Said, yep, that's the way he's going to do it. He says, go get water and fill them with water. What? Water in the vessels of wine. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Don't question it. Don't reason it. Don't try to logic it out. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to understand it. Just do whatsoever he saith unto you. I don't know how you're going to get wine out of water, but God, if you say to do it, I'm going to do it. Friend, if you won't question what God's telling you to do tonight, God will give you a miracle. If you won't question what God's trying to get you to do in the place he's trying to get you to go, God will give to you a miracle. Okay, here goes. Six of them filled to the brim. Now surely he's going to get us to put food coloring in it. Some kind of grape flavoring. Something to make it taste like wine. Instead, the Lord says, bear it to the governor of the feast. Now hold on, Lord. We may look dumb, but we're not stupid. We know that wine don't come out of water, and you're going to make us look like fools in front of the governor of feast. Oh, but what's of he saith unto you? Do it. Do it. Do it. Don't question it. Don't reason it. Don't try to figure it out. Just do it. All right, I don't know what you're doing, Lord. I don't know what you're trying to get at, but I will do it. And they picked up the six vessels and they carried them before the governor of the feast. And he drew out and he said, it's the best wine that I've ever tasted. You've saved the best unto the last. Then if you'll do what Jesus tells you to do, if you won't try to figure it out, if you won't try to reason it, God will give you the best for your life. God will give you the best for your home. God will give you the best for your family. If you'll just do what Jesus says to do. I believe Jesus is here tonight telling somebody to do something. I believe Jesus is here tonight telling somebody to do something. 
I believe Jesus is here looking at a bunch of people been laid on a cot for 38 years trying to figure out in their own mind how they're going to get it done with their preconceived notions trying to scrub their fingernails and keep their elbows clean then would you forget about your preconceived ideas would you forget about your plan and say God I don't know what you want for Tuesday night and God I don't know how you're going to do it but God whatsoever you want to do tonight I'm willing to do it if it's weep I'll weep if it's travail I'll travail if it's shout I'll shout if it's praise somebody through the Holy Ghost I'll do it I'll just do whatsoever you say unto me now don't try to straighten me out theologically because I don't really want to be straightened out but I really believe that there wasn't any other miracles happen at that pool the Bible don't relate any others and even in my mind I can't think that there would have been any other miracles at that pool you know why? because I know human nature and I kind of think that while this man was getting up off of his cot and walking some old man on the other side of the pool pulls himself up on his elbow and says just who does he think he is don't he know the way it's done around here don't he know that an angel troubles the water it's never happened that way before and the Lord says if you want to stay with your traditions and your customs and wait for an angel just wait on and I really believe he must have walked away the Bible don't relate to us any other miracle and I really believe it must have been because that they were willing to wait for an angel instead of do what Jesus says to do there will be in this building in the next few minutes people that will get blessed and touched there will be people that will get victory and deliverance and there very possibly could be some people that would say I don't think it can happen that way and you'll never get it and it'll never happen to you as long as you wait for an angel to massage your waters. But if you'll say, God, I come to Tuesday night hungry and thirsty. I come being tired of the way I am. I come wanting something from you. I've come, God, for whatever you want to give me. I didn't come with any preconceived ideas. I didn't come with any preconceived notions of the first night. I just come wanting to do what you want me to do. And God, here I am. If, I, if you want me to do it, God, I'll do it because I'm tired of laying beside of the pool and waiting. I'm ready for a move of God in my life. If you want God to do in your life what he wants to do tonight and you're willing, you're willing to say, God, whatsoever it is, I'll do it. Would you stand to your feet right now and lift your hands to God and say, God, here I am. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do it. I'll do it. Everything. I'll do it. I'll do it. Hey, sir, God's been dealing with you something for a long time. Why don't you go ahead and do it? Hey, Daddy, God's been trying to get you to do something. Why don't you go ahead and do it? Hey, Mama, God's been trying to get you to move. Why don't you go ahead and do what God's been wanting you to do? 
Why are you holding on to your preconceived ideas? Come on, young people, do what the Lord tells you to do right now. Come on, moms and dads, do what God tells you to do right now. Come on, sinner friend, do what God tells you to do right now. Come on, backslider, obey God. Come on, call a different one. Obey God. Obey God. Obey God. Obey God. Obey God. It's happening. It's happening all across the building tonight. People are saying they're hungry. They're thirsty. They're ready for a move of God. They're ready to do whatever He wants to get it done. Hallelujah. 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 From across this auditorium right now, while you're worshiping and praising, whether you're saint, sinner, or backslider, whoever you are, but you want a touch of God in your life, and you're willing, you're willing to leave your pew and walk down these aisles and kneel at this altar tonight and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Would you do it right now? You know God's talking to you. You know God's dealing with you. You know God is speaking distinctly to your heart. You just by faith would step out of your pew right now, whoever you are, and come on down and kneel at this altar and say, God, I'll obey you. I'll obey you. I'll obey you because I want the best. I want the best. I want the best in my life. I want a miracle. I want a move of God. Is there another real quickly across this building while we're worshiping and praising and magnifying God? Jesus is in the house tonight. 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 Is there some more across this building? You'll say, God, I give myself to obey you. I give myself to do whatever you want me to do. Yes, God's talking. Backslider, God's talking to you. Sinner friend, God's talking to you. Say to God, God's trying to get you to do something. Cold and different one. God's trying to get you to move. Are you content with the cot? Are you content with the pool's edge? Are you content with scrubbing fingernails and keeping elbows clean? Or do you want a move of God? Or do you want a move of God? Or do you want a touch of the Lord? Everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. My God. My God. I'm laying aside my preconceived ideas. I'm laying aside my preconceived notions. I'm laying aside my preconceived I'm just going to do it the way he wants me to do it tonight. I'm going to do it. Hallelujah. That's it. That's it. That's it. If you'll obey God, he'll fill you with the Holy Ghost. If you'll obey God, he'll give you a miracle. If you'll obey God, he'll give you a revival. If you'll obey God, he'll touch your soul in a supernatural way.